Welcome to the Reasonable Theology Podcast, where we present sound doctrine in plain language. We're here to help you better understand, articulate, and live out the fullness of the Christian faith. And now, here's your host, Clay Craby. Who was John Calvin? A name you're probably familiar with. Well, here is a brief biographical sketch of this theologian and pastor and reformer. So while it was Martin Luther who drove the nails that began the Reformation, there's one man who's most closely associated with Reformed theology, and that is John Calvin. He lived from the years 1509 to 1564. And as historian Mark Knoll has noted, if Luther sounded the trumpet for reform, Calvin orchestrated the score by which the Reformation became a part of Western civilization. Now, Calvin was born to a staunch Roman Catholic family in 1509, and when he was just eight years old, Luther posted his 95 theses. Now, although he never met Luther personally, as far as we know, he benefited from his writings and he admired him greatly. Calvin said of Luther, God roused Luther and the others who carried the torch ahead in order to recover the way of salvation and by whose service our churches were founded and established. Now, Luther and Calvin did not agree on all matters theologically, but they shared many of the same convictions. Like Luther, John Calvin was pressured by his father to study law. However, the moment word reached him that his father had passed away, Calvin switched gears and he pursued a study of the classics. However, Calvin was forced to flee from his homeland for his own safety. In November of 1533, the rector of the University of Paris, uh, a friend of Calvin's named Nicholas Kopp, he preached an opening address for the winter semester, and it was a plea for reformation and a return to the teachings of the New Testament. Well, this smelled too much like Luther for those in authority to tolerate, and Kopp was forced to flee. And Calvin, believed to have collaborated with Kopp in preparing the sermon, was marked out as a follower of Luther's. And so he sought refuge in Basel, Switzerland, when deadly persecution arose against Protestant Christians in France. While there, Calvin published the very first edition of his most famous work, The Institutes of the Christian Religion. He was just 27 years old. This was the year 1536, the same year that William Tyndale was martyred in England. The Institutes would be revised and expanded a number of times over the years, and it would serve as Calvin's magnum opus. Well, let's look a little bit about this detour to Geneva. That same year, Calvin made plans to go to Strasbourg to live a quiet life as a scholar, hoping to help the Reformation along by his writings. However, war had broken out between Francis I and Charles V, and and that's the same Charles V that presided over the Diet of Worms a decade earlier. And so Calvin decided to make a detour in Geneva, Switzerland, and this was only supposed to be for the night. Well, while in Geneva, a reformer by the name of William Farrell recognized Calvin, the now famous author of the Institutes. And Farrell really was the first reformer in Geneva, the one who fought to have the city officially Protestant uh, in May of 1536, but he needed a help. He needed a lot 
of help. And so Pharaoh asked Calvin to remain in Geneva to be his co-laborer in the work ahead. Well, Calvin declined. Pharaoh pleaded and eventually took to praying an imprecatory prayer or a, a prayer of cursing on Calvin's studies if he were to go ahead and move on to Strasbourg. Well, Calvin was so shook by this, he later said, I felt as if God from heaven had laid his mighty hand upon me to stop me in my course. And I was so stricken with terror that I did not continue my journey. Well, the young theologian decided to stay and Farrell and Calvin set to work on reforming the people of Geneva. Together, they tried to implement reforms in a city that was known for flagrant sin and things deteriorated pretty quickly. One night in April 1538, more than 60 musket blasts shot off in front of Calvin's home late one night in an effort to scare him away. The pair ran afoul of the populace and the city council when they prevented people from participating in communion while they were living in open sin, and they were both banished from Geneva. And Calvin is relieved. He would finally get to live in peaceful study in Strasbourg, or so he thought. You see, another reformer by the name of Martin Busser found out that Calvin's schedule had just cleared up. Word must have gotten around about the success of Farrell's imprecatory prayer tactic because Busser told Calvin that he would be a modern-day Jonah if he did not use his God-given ability to teach and pastor. Calvin recalled this moment, writing, that most excellent servant of Christ, Martin Bucer, imploring a similar kind of remonstrance and protestation as that to which Farrell had recourse before, drew me back to a new station. Alarmed by the example of Jonah which he set before me, I still continued in the work of teaching. And so Calvin spent three years pastoring 500 of his fellow French religious refugees in Strasbourg. He also got married. He wrote his commentary on Romans, and he revised his institutes. Now, later he would return to Geneva. The city council of Geneva did not get along quite as well in Calvin's absence as they expected. Cardinal Sadoletto was urging the Genevan church to return to Roman Catholicism, and they desperately needed someone to respond. If only they knew a brilliant Protestant theologian. Well, after much pleading and resistance, Calvin agreed, and you can actually read his response. It's a, a Reformation debate is the way that's published now. Now, in 1541, John Calvin returned to Geneva, and he would minister there for the rest of his life. He taught and modeled that Scripture is to be the authority for every part of ministry. See, Calvin's view of the pastor's job was this, quote, Let the pastors boldly dare all things by the word of God, of which they are constituted administrators. Let them constrain all the power, glory, and excellence of the world to give place to and obey the divine majesty of the word. Let them enjoy everyone by it, from the highest to the lowest. Let them edify the body of Christ. Let them devastate Satan's reign. Let them pasture the sheep, keel the wolves, instruct and exhort the rebellious. Let them bind and loose thunder and lightning if necessary, but let them do all according to the word of God. 
So that's some insight into what Calvin's pastoral ministry looked like. You see, he dedicated himself to preaching and teaching the Word of God. He preached over 4,000 sermons, though all but about 1,500 were thrown away when the librarian that had these manuscripts needed to clear up some shelf space. He preached without notes. He preached expositionally, which means he preached sequentially through books of the Bible, and the main point of the passage was the main point of the sermon. In fact, when he returned to Geneva after being banished, his very first sermon picked up on the next verse that he had left off from three years prior. Now, in addition to preaching, he wrote many commentaries on Scripture, volumes upon volumes of pastoral and theological works, and he set up a school to train pastors. Many of his students had fled their homeland due to persecution and intended to return one day. They often joked that their diplomas served a dual purpose as their death certificate. And for a great number of them who were put to death for their Protestant views, this really proved to be the case. Now, Calvin's ministry would have a major impact on the city of Geneva and on the continuing success of the Protestant Reformation and on the history of the church. When John Knox, that great Scottish reformer, visited Geneva in 1554, he said that the city was the most perfect school of Christ that ever was in the earth since the days of the apostles. Knox was among those who sought refuge in Calvin's Geneva, and he, Calvin, uh, Miles Coverdale, and others set to work on a translation of Scripture. The Geneva Bible, as it came to be called, was the first Bible with chapter and verse numbers, and it was the first to have study notes in the margin. I actually have a manuscript page from the Geneva Bible in the frames right behind me from the year 1611. It was the Bible of John Bunyan and William Shakespeare, the Bible of the Puritans and the Pilgrims. Even after the publication of the King James Version, it remained the most popular English version for another 50 years. Well, despite all these apparent successes, Calvin endured great difficulties during his ministry. All of his children died in infancy. His wife, though she survived the plague when initially ravaged Geneva, died after a lengthy illness in 1549. He faced constant opposition as a pastor. He was accosted on the street. People would attend church services and intentionally cough so loudly they would drown out his preaching. Some threatened to drag him out and throw him in the river. Others fired guns outside the church. Men would set their dogs after him, and they even threatened his life. On top of these external stresses, Calvin had a great deal of physical ailments as well. Severe pain, difficulty breathing, headaches, severe weight loss. Even years before his death, he was described as a skeleton covered with skin. Well, despite these hardships, Calvin would not slow down his pace or reduce his ministry workload. When confronted about the need for rest, Calvin commented, What? Would you have the Lord find me idle when he comes? A Geneva resident during that time described Calvin's workload, writing, Calvin, for his part, did not spare himself at all, working far beyond what his power and regard for his health could stand. He preached commonly every day for one week in two, and twice on every Sunday, or a total about ten times every two weeks. Every week he lectured three times in theology. Every Friday at the Bible study, what he added after the leader had made his declaration was almost a lecture. 
He never failed in visiting the sick, in private warning and counsel, and the rest of the numberless matters arising out of the ordinary exercise of his ministry. But besides these ordinary tasks, he had a great care for believers in France, both in teaching them and exhorting them and counseling them and consoling them by letters when they were being persecuted and also interceding for them. Yet all that did not prevent him from going on working at his special study and composing many splendid and very useful books. Now, it was inevitable that Calvin's many ailments would finally catch up with him. He wrote to his doctors, At present, all of these ailments, as it were, muster in troops against me. And yet, even up to eight days before his death, Calvin was still writing and teaching. He was often carried in a chair to preach because he was too weak to walk. On his deathbed, he completed his commentary on the Old Testament book of Joshua. By his own words, he counted his ministry as more valuable than his life. Why? Why did Calvin work so diligently? Why did he expend his life to the teaching of Scripture, even in the face of so many difficulties and so much opposition? Well, because like Luther and Tyndale and a number of others, John Calvin was devoted to the truth of Scripture. His heart was held captive to the Word of God. Well, on April 25, 1564, John Calvin dictated the following words. I render thanks to God, not only because he has had compassion on me, his poor creature, to draw me out of the abyss of idolatry in which I was plunged, in order to bring me to the light of his gospel and make me a partaker of the doctrine of salvation, of which I was altogether unworthy, and continuing his mercy, he has supported me amid so many sins and shortcomings, which were such that I well deserved to be rejected by him a hundred thousand times. But what is more, he has so far extended his mercy towards me as to make use of me and my labor to convey and announce the truth of his gospel. John Calvin whose tireless ministry revealed that his heart was captive to the Word of God, passed away on May 27, 1564, just two weeks prior to his 55th birthday. At his request, he was buried in an unmarked grave at an undisclosed location in Geneva. Whether or not one subscribes to the doctrinal system that came to bear his name, John Calvin's legacy continues to this day. Generations of believers have benefited from the fruit of his diligent labor to preach and teach the Word of God. Thanks for listening to the Reasonable Theology Podcast. Be sure to visit reasonabletheology.org for more helpful resources on understanding, articulating, and living out the Christian faith. In addition to the show notes for this episode, you'll find articles, videos, book reviews, and much more. That's reasonabletheology.org. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoy the Reasonable Theology podcast, go to reasonabletheology.org slash subscribe and get the weekly email. Each week I send out the latest article or podcast episode, and each email also includes a helpful definition to expand your theological vocabulary, a beautiful painting depicting a scene from scripture or church history, a musical selection to enrich your day, as well as the best book deal I've found that week to add trusted resources to your library. Try it out at reasonabletheology.org slash subscribe.